Uh, don't spill that. My wife will be upset. I'm not. I'm a pro. You're a pro egg dyer? Oh, yeah. You know there's more to Easter than just the eggs, right? Yeah. Chocolate bunnies, marshmallow chicks, and um, jelly beans. Hey, why don't you go to church with me this Easter? Can he come? Sure. But you know, Easter's not about the bunny, right? My wife's gonna hate this. It's not about the bunny, man. <laughs> but bunnies are okay. We have a bunny, actually. Uh, my wife has a bunny pet. She likes pets. My name's Mark. Glad to see you here this morning. I hope that you're willing to get a little exercise because I think we kind of need to loosen up when we come to church. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I want you to stand in response, okay? Uh, so just kind of get your knees loose. If you can't stand up, it's okay. So how many of you have been a Christian for at least three years? Stand up. I want you to remain standing at least three years. Stand up. I want you to remain standing. So I want to just remind you, and if you're not standing but you've been a Christian for at least three years, raise your hand. So I think most of the crowd here, that's good. That's, that's, that's encouraging. I'm always hoping there's a few more people seating. That means we're kind of turning over new faith all the time in the church, and I praise God for those that are standing. And I want to just remind you, those of you who are standing, every person standing right now had more personal experience with Jesus Christ than any of the 12 disciples did the day that Jesus died. Because they only had him when he was with them physically. We have him 24-7. And so, and you know what Jesus did to those disciples? He was only with them three years and out. That was his discipleship system, three years and out. And you know what? They did all right. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to do all right. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I want to just share with you uh, why evangelism and disciple making is so important to me. Because uh, in 1976, uh, one afternoon at Virginia Beach, I, was, I had hair about down to here, and I was tripping on a four-way hit of windowpane blotter acid. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's a type of LSD. And I was pretty messed up in my head that day, and I had a guy meet me at a boardwalk hamburger joint, um, and he, he said, can I ask you a couple of questions? And so when you're tripping on a four-way hit of windowpane blotter acid, you really, really don't care what anybody does to you. And I said, sure. He said, he said, do you know Jesus? And I got very upset because I, and I told him, I said, look, I didn't come here to hear about God, bro. I came here to get a burger. Get out of my face. So I pushed him away and he grabbed my elbow, literally, and he spun me around. Now, where I come from, you don't put your hands on a man, right? But he did. And when I spun around, I looked at him, he had this look in his face. And I just kind of melted. He said, here's the second question. The Bible says the gate to hell is very broad. Most people find it. But the gate to heaven is very narrow, and only a few people go in that gate. He said, here's the second question. Are you going to be one of the few that makes it to heaven? And I want to tell you something. That messed my world up. In fact, it messed my world up so bad that it was like an instant. I spent $36 for that hit of blotter acid, and in an instant, total buzzkill. It was gone. And I was mad. I cussed him out. I told him, I said, thank you, bro. I appreciate you. You just ruined my day. But I was wrong. Because uh, about 45 minutes later on the drive back from Virginia Beach, Virginia, back to 
Williamsburg, Virginia, where I live, God changed my heart, and that guy actually ruined my whole life. <laughs> he just messed me up forever. Praise God. I want to just tell you this morning that I've never seen that guy before that and never since. But isn't it amazing how God can take a word that he puts on your heart, and you say it to somebody that's lost, and it can transform their lives? Because I got home that day, and I got, went upstairs, and I had an old track. You remember the Chick tracks? Anybody remember those? A guy named Chick used to write these tracks, and one of them was, This Was Your Life. It told a story about a guy that lived a really wicked life, and then he died, and then he stands before God, and then there's judgment, and he ends up going to hell. Does anybody remember that track? I mean, that's like scary, bro. And uh, I looked at that track, and I remember I had it in the back of one of my pairs of jeans, and when I got home, I was ready to become a Christian. I pulled it out, and I remember in the back of it, there was a prayer on how to become a Christian. That's how I became a Christian in 1976, and I've been so wonderfully saved ever since that day, and I want to praise God because someone was willing to share their faith with me. Question this morning, are you willing to share your faith with someone? See, I don't think that guy was very skilled at that. You know, it's funny, isn't it? God doesn't always use people that are skilled. He just uses people that are available. If you're here today and you'd say, I'm available, raise your hand. You're available. All right, great, great. Now, I, I've, I just finished training on evangelism up in Minnesota. Just By the way, it's really cold in Minnesota. The high was 12 degrees. That's wrong when you leave Orlando and it's 82 and you land and it's 7. It's just wrong. But I did, and I got to teach there. And one of the things that someone asked me is, they said, uh, Brother Bain, they said, if, if that guy didn't witness to you, do you think he would have gone to hell? And I said, you know, I don't know. I can't really answer that, but I can tell you one thing. If he hadn't witnessed to you, I can almost be certain that I would have. He intervened in my life. And I want to tell you that you have the same capacity that he has. Because you know what gives you the qualifier to be a good disciple maker? Do you know what it is? Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be great church people. No, I didn't say that, did he? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, now I know y'all know this passage, come on, it's Acts 1.8, let's try it again. I want you to say the word real quick when I get to it, you ready? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my Right. Witnesses. Amen. So the qualifier for being a good witness is that you have the Holy Spirit. And most of you already admitted to me that you have the Spirit because you couldn't be saved unless you had the Spirit. So you've been saved for at least three years, many of you. So I want to tell you that you guys are the answer to the world's problems, every one of you. And you're better than you think you are. You know Ephesians 3.20 tells us, uh, you know this passage, you can quote it with me. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or imagine. Amen? According to his power that's at work in you, it's not your power. Somebody say, praise God. Because most of us are really sorry at witnessing. I'm sorry at witnessing. But you know who's really good at it? The Holy Spirit. He's amazing. And when, before I became a Christian, the lady that was my pastor, I had a female pastor back in the, like back in the dark ages, in the, in the 70s, 60s actually. And her name was Mrs. Smith. And I remember one time she told me, she said, Mark, he said, if, you, if you'll, behold, he stands at your door and knocks, and if you'll open the door and let him in, he'll come in and he'll live through you, and he'll live his life through you. And she said, it's kind of like a puppet. Do you remember that lamb chop thing, puppet thing? Do you remember that? Lamb chop, do y'all remember? Now, that was a tender, gentle puppet, remember? And, 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 and she said, now, Mark, it's kind of like lamb chop. She said, if you take the puppet, she said, really, lamb chop is really not a lamb. It's a puppet. 
And that was hard for me to take. But she, she, she revealed, it's kind of like telling me about Santa Claus, like weird. She said, but if you took that puppet hand off of her hand, what was the lady's name? Sherry. Took it off, and you put that lamb chop little puppet on Hitler's hand, it would be a different lamb chop. And that just kind of resonated with me. I thought, oh, she said, so that's what it means to become a Christian. You just let Jesus put himself inside of your skin. So really what you are when you become a Christian, you're just, you're just you with, you're just Jesus with your skin on. And I thought that made sense to me. And so whenever I heard that, I realized that, man, God wants us to be like him. So John 14, 12, do you know that passage, anyone? Here's what it says. Jesus is talking to one guy. He says, anyone who believes in me can do the things that I've done. Then he goes, nah, that's not enough. He says, no, greater things than these can you do than I did because I go to my Father which is in heaven. So I want to tell you that God wants you to be the hope for this world. And the tragedy is that so many of us live our lives in such a way that we never think we can ever help change anybody. And we just come to church and go home and we think that living a Christian life is just kind of average. I want to tell you that there's no such thing as an average Christian. Somebody say amen. There's no such thing as an average Christian. I love what Hudson Taylor said. Um, he said, the Great Commission is not an opinion to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. The Great Commission is not an opinion to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed kind of hard uh, when most of us and I know this from practical experience I travel a great deal about 30 28 27 days a, a month and I meet Christians all over North America from Hawaii to Canada all through all points in between and I've found that about 98% of the people I've ever met in the church have never personally led anybody to Christ and the Bible kind of suggests that leading someone to Christ is like the crescendo it's the high point of faith and the tragedy is that most believers have never experienced a crescendo. And many of them have spent way more time with Jesus than the disciples did. So I just want to tell you, man, you got everything you need to be able to make an impact on the world. So I want to talk to you about a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. And since most of you are believers, that means you're ready. For most of us, we're not going to go out and lead somebody to Christ because we've never done that. Because we don't kind of like being rejected. How many of y'all really like being rejected? Anybody? No, I haven't met that person yet, but you know, we all know we don't, but Jesus didn't either. He didn't like being rejected. He was a human being like you and I are, but Jesus did it anyway because he loved lost people. Amen. Let me just ask you, do you love lost people? Let's try it again. When I say, when I say you love lost people, if you do say amen real loud, you're right. Let's try it. Do you love lost people? I knew you did. So I want to talk to you about a simple, simple method that Jesus gives us in the New Testament through this story of how do you bring somebody to faith? I know that you're all just, just waiting eagerly. To know, how do I do this? Because most Christians have never done it. So I want to give you some really simple things that will help you with this. But before, and so here we go. We're going to start out with John chapter 4. And uh, it says, this is the story of the good Samaritan, of the Samaritan woman. You know the story. So I'm going to read the portions of this, not the whole passage, but it's a pretty good section of Scripture. It says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want to pause for a minute because I'm going to preach a little bit while I go through the text. Here's what that means. That means that Jesus had a divine imperative. And here's what that means. That means that God has something for every one of us to do. He has a plan for us. He has an agenda for us and for you and for me. And the Bible says that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. That means that whatever God wants to do with us, he can do with us. Amen? He can have his way with us. 
But what most of us say is you can have his way with us as long as it fits into my personality. You remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission to the 11 disciples? Because there were only 11 left when he gave the Great Commission because Judas had already betrayed him. You remember that? And so he had 11 disciples, and you remember he gathered them up, and before he gave the Great Commission, he took the extroverts, and he separated them from the five introverts, and he gave the Great Commission to the six extroverts? No. He gave the Great Commission to every believer. Why? Because, here it is, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The one qualifier for being a witness is that you have the power of God in your life. And you have that if you're a believer. Amen? So you know how many people God wants to go to hell? Does anybody have an idea? Say zero. Zero. You guys got to help me. Hey, when I have good audience response, I preach really fast. Amen? Yeah. So, so So there's no... God doesn't want one person to go to hell. Do you know, do you know what his plan is? That's his vision. Do you know what his plan is? Do you think God is like a, a, like a half-witted God that would have a, a, plan, a vision but not have a plan to get it done? Ah, he's got a plan. You know what the plan is? Turn to the person next to you and look at him. Say, you're the plan. You're the plan. Introvert, extrovert, tall, short, skinny, not skinny, young, not young, all of us, amen? God's plan is for every believer to be involved as the army of God to change the world. It won't happen by just bringing them to church, although we should always do that. See, we're called the called out ones. And as the Bible teaches that God calls us to go out into the world and bring people in. Do you know that I became a Christian before I came to church? And I got to tell you, Pastor, I was the easiest person you ever had to disciple. Because I was already saved. I couldn't wait to come to church. I didn't come to church reluctantly. I got to go to church again. I didn't understand why they only had church three times a week. What's going on here? This is your life. This is the center of everything you do. Why would you only come three times a week? Can we do this every day? Because God had so transformed my life and changed my heart. I just couldn't wait to be around him and his people. I didn't care who his people were, if they were old or young. In fact, when I got saved, I went to a church of a, this church full of geezers. It was a geezer church, man. They all looked like me. They were bald-headed or had blue hair or whatever. That was me. That was the church I went to. And before I went to church, I was listening to the Doobie Brothers. I was listening to Fleetwood Mac, Deep Purple, Pink Floyd. I mean, and I came to church, and they're singing Amazing Grace and Kumbaya. I mean, if I wasn't a Christian, that would have just grossed me out. That red carpet with black spots in it. The pews. Oh, the pews. You wouldn't imagine the pews. You guys are blessed. Because when I grew up, when I went to church, if you leaned on the back of that pew long enough, it would adhere to your flesh. And when you tried to pull forward, you would like lose skin. That's it. But you know what? I loved going to church. You know why? Because I fell in love with Jesus. And I fell in love with Jesus because somebody left the church and told me about Jesus. And then when I came, I was so easy to disciple. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Here's what that means, very simple. The first point of my message is, you have a great commission too. You have a divine appointment. God is setting up for you. Every person in this room, God is setting up opportunities like that guy at Virginia Beach had with me. Bible says it. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We believe in something called provenient grace. That is, we believe that God goes out before we know him, and he tries to reach us and bring us in. Do you believe that that's happening? You could probably remember the provenient grace moments in your life. I can remember the most significant one. 
it was just about a year before I became a Christian, my brother was killed in an accident, my older brother. I'd lived with him for about six months prior to this. And uh, there were four of us boys, there were five boys before Alan died. So I, I grew up in a family of 13 kids. So we had eight sisters and four, four brothers. There were 13 of us. And Alan died, and all four brothers were sitting on the front pew of this little Nazarene church in Newport News, Virginia. And the coffin was closed because my brother was pretty messed up in the accident. Never saw him again from the time that I'd left the house that morning. And I'll never forget sitting there with my four brothers. And this preacher preached a message at the funeral. You won't believe this, but he did. He preached a message on the rich man and Lazarus. And he said, you need to know today that if Alan's in heaven, we can't tell for sure where somebody's spending eternity. Only God knows. He said, but if Alan's in heaven, you can be sure that he's in Abraham's bosom being loved and blessed and caressed he said but if he's not you can be sure that he's praying that none of his brothers will come to that awful place can you believe he would say that out loud in a funeral you talking about pervenient grace man i left that place and every time i'd wake up in the middle of the night, i'd hear alan mark don't come down here don't because alan lived a really wicked life he was killed in a car because he was out drinking with a bunch of friends just left a bar it was an awful thing but god was using that to draw me the bible teaches that that provenient grace is working all over everywhere that you live in your neighborhood when somebody dies or somebody gets sick according to romans chapter one they're thinking about god it's on their minds and all they need is somebody to make the connection between that experience or that crisis or that moment and Jesus. And that becomes the answer. That's what happened to me. When that guy met me at the beach, it changed my life because that guy had a divine commission. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe God is preparing people in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. God's Holy Spirit, His provenient grace is getting them ready. Man, when I went to the beach that day, I was so ripe, I was almost rotten spiritually. I was ready to be plucked. And all that guy had to do was just say a few words to me and ask me if I was going to be one of the few. It's kind of like just taking a, taking a bucket out and taking the fruit that falls off the tree. That's what Jesus said he needs, right? He, remember what he said? He said, the fields are ripe in the harvest, but the workers... He didn't say the experts are few. He didn't say the gifted are few. He didn't say the extroverts are few. Amen. Somebody help me here. You're going to make me preach a long time if you don't help me. He said who? He said the workers. Guys, that's blue collar. That's like migrant help. You don't have to be very skilled to carry around a bucket and pick fruit. And that's all he's asking us to do. And we get to share our faith with people. And I'm telling you, don't be surprised if they respond yes. So first of all, he had to go through Samaria. Then listen to the rest of the story. When a Samaritan woman came to him to draw water, Jesus said to her, I want you to catch this, all right? So first of all, he had a divine imperative. You do. You have one. And here it is. You ready for it? Now, I know a lot of Christians, they're saying, Pastor, they told me this all in my ministry, I'll witness when God tells me to. That's what they tell me. When God tells me to. <laughs> They're waiting for that lightning bolt to strike. And God say, go witness to Brad. <laughs> but you already got the lightning bolt. It's already been given. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus said it to the disciples, all of them, introvert and extrovert. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey, to obey everything that I've taught you. And I'm going to be with you all the way through the journey. 
So the Jesus that models how to make a disciple in this story is alive and well in your life today, and he will help you through that journey. Somebody say, praise God, I'm not alone. Amen, you're going to help me. You just knocked off three minutes of my message right there. So it goes on. So it says, he asked her, I want you to understand this, Jesus spoke to the woman. Now that's weird, isn't it? I mean, come on, speaking to a stranger that you've never met before, do you think that was easy for Jesus? I don't think so. I think he was a human being. He was a man. In fact, the Apostles' Creed said he's a very man, very God, very man. He was man. He had every fear that you and I have, except he didn't sin in his fear. But he had every instinct that you and I did. In fact, he was tempted in every way like we are. So I just want to remind you that the same reservations that you have about sharing your faith, I'm sure Jesus had. I'm sure that Paul had. If you don't think that, don't follow their lives because they ended up dying for it, most of them. And they knew, and you know, if you live in a culture where you're going to get killed for your faith, you probably have some awareness that that might happen when you do it. But they did it anyway. But Jesus spoke to the woman. And it's an interesting thing that Jesus did. He said, and I'll think of it, Jesus, this was kind of like a, you know, this is like a, a system of class, a class system in the first century. And Jesus, as a, as a Jewish rabbi, was kind of like, in that setting with her, he was kind of up here. And her as a Samaritan was down here and as a Samaritan woman was even down here and here's what he did it's a crazy thing what I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of listening to God in prayer could you say that with me together out loud when I say three and I'm gonna tell you again the importance of listening to God in prayer so on three one two three see in our prayer lives we spend a lot of time talking as though we had something to teach God we don't but he's got a lot to teach us and I find that if we listen to God, he'll put us in places we need to be. He'll put us in situations we ought to be in, but we may not like them. Now, the disciples were very surprised that Jesus was even talking to this woman. They were kind of taken back. They were like amazed that even because he wasn't supposed to talk to her. I'm telling you, if you listen to God, he's going to get you around people that you don't think you're supposed to be around. He's going to take you places that you wouldn't normally go. In fact, he might interrupt your schedule and your life and put you in places that you would never normally go. Think about Philip. You remember Philip? Philip was a layman. He was called on to hand out food to the Hebraic and the Grecian widows. Remember when they had a big old fight and they wanted to kind of battle because the Hebraic widows were getting more food than the Grecian widows were? And the Grecian widows were being mad because all the Jewish disciples were hooking up their own grandmas because <laughs> they were all Hebrews. So there's this division in the church. And, and uh, so God, God told the church, well, just put some people over handing out food. That was, that was Philip. He was a layman. Now, if you're a layperson, I just want to tell you, you're not just a layperson. You're the key to the kingdom in this world. Lay people are. And I think that's one of the great, great disservices the enemy's done to the church today, to tell lay people that they're just lay people. Lay people are the key to the kingdom. The world will never come to Christ unless lay people embrace the principle. Ministers, uh, when the only people fighting in an army are the generals, you lose that battle. But we think that only the experts are supposed to be making disciples. I want to tell you that every believer is a disciple maker by design. Can I say that again? If you believe it, say amen. Every believer is a disciple maker by design. We are. Now, we may not think we are, and I know you don't, the enemy tells you you're not, but you are. So, Jesus, you know what Jesus does to this woman who's on a level of class down here? He asks her to serve him. We would never do that. We're too, well, we're too 
contemporary. We're too, uh, uh, you know, we're too woke for that. We would never ask someone below us to serve us. We would serve them. But the Holy Spirit has a way of getting into people's lives in ways we don't understand. That's why it's so important that we're hypersensitive to him and we listen to him and do what he says instead of what we think. Because we just really don't know what's best, but God knows what's happening in that person's heart. God knew when I showed up at that beach, God knew exactly what I needed to hear. God knew that I'd been sitting in that seat at that Nazarene church not too many months before, and I heard a message, and it said that your brother's probably praying for you that you don't come to this place. And what did that guy talk about? He talked about hell. He said, don't be one of the many that makes it to hell, be one of the few that makes it to heaven. Who could give him that idea to talk about that? The Holy Spirit. He, you see, because he'd been listening to God. And I want to tell you, it, it's not complicated. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be intelligent to be a great disciple maker. All you have to do is be a good listener. Amen? Be a good listener. So he asked her, and of course, you know, Jesus starts a conversation with water. He's pretty systematic in what he did. He said, bring me some water. The next thing you know, the whole conversation was about, I'll give you living water that when you get it, it'll spring up into life. So here's the points of the message. Number one, Jesus was intentional about disciple making. I believe that every believer in this place and every believer on the planet needs to become more intentional about disciple making. It's good to have the idea. We all kind of have the idea of disciple making, but we need to become intentional about disciple making. Intentional. Now there's one, you've got some tools. Thank God you've got a pastor that's humble and godly and he believes in evangelism, so he's trying to help you. He's going to give you some cards later today and I think these are called five for five cards. Have y'all heard of these yet? Well, you're going to get them, and uh, everybody should take them. One has where you could put, uh, you identify five people. And I always tell people when I ask them that, don't just people, put people on there who you know their names. Because some of the people that need Jesus in my life, I don't know their name yet. You know, the lady that I talked to at the restaurant last week, and the mailman, I don't know his name, but he looks like he's really distraught. And you see him at the end of the street, sitting there parked in his car, crying. I think there's something going on. He needs Jesus. And so they're going to ask you to identify five people. And then there's five cards that you can hand to those people as you pray for them and invite them to come to church on Easter Sunday. Amen? It's not about the money, right? So there's a great tool for you. I love what David Livingston says when he talks to us about this. He says, sympathy is no substitute for action. Sympathy is no substitute for action. So God's called all of us to do it. Now here's the question. What's going to move each of us from where we are, living in our lives, following our schedules, living our normal habits and behaviors, what's going to cause us to go from being who we are, most of us never have ever led anybody to Christ, what causes us to move from that to actually start moving towards leaving someone to Christ? First thing is we have to recognize we have a divine imperative. I just talked about that. The second thing is we need to find people that don't know Jesus. Now, they're everywhere, guys. They're just everywhere. And uh, so I'm always asking God, God, where would you like me to go? Who doesn't know Jesus? I'm sure maybe that kid at Virginia Beach thought, where should I go today? Maybe the Lord said, go to the beach. You're going to see some idiot that's half drunk out of his mind. And I'm going to tell, and so see, but if he was probably like me, he would have said, I'm not going to talk to that guy. He's tripping. He's not going to hear anything I say. <laughs> Isn't it funny how God can sober a person that's drunk or he could do that. If he tells you to do that, then that would be the thing to do, right? Well, First of all, we've got to understand we have to have this divine imperative. Secondly, we have to find people that don't know Jesus. I remember once we were doing a, a Mother's Day event in the church I was planning in Kansas City. And so uh, I got up on, on Sunday morning really early, and I had made a commitment to God. We're talking about being intentional about disciple making. I made a commitment to God that I would spend one hour every week 
in the lives of lost people. I don't know where, but I'm going to find a place and a way to get around lost people. And so that morning, it was Mother's Day, Sunday morning, and our church service was Sunday night because it was an urban core black church. And the only people awake in the urban core of Kansas City at 11 a.m. are people going to church. <laughs> and we don't want to win them. They're already saved. So we wanted to have church at a time when lost people could come. So we had church on Sunday night. So Sunday morning, I get up, and the Lord says, go to the laundromat. I had this idea. So I went, and I bought $30 worth of quarters, right? And I go to this laundromat that's right there at 60, uh, 65th and Paseo. It's in a really bad neighborhood. And I went down there, and, and I had these flyers because we had a Mother's Day event that evening where every mother's going to get a flower, you know, and all this stuff. And so I went in there, and I started buying these mothers laundry. You can't imagine how many women are doing laundry on Mother's Day. Guys, what are we thinking? Well, the tragedy is most of those mothers don't have husbands. They're almost all single moms in that area. So I was able to go in there, and you know how much it costs to buy one load of laundry in a big machine? Does anybody know? Has anybody done that lately? I didn't think we had many here that probably would. It's like 8 or $10 for one load. Do you know how long it takes to put 8 or $10 worth of quarters in a laundry machine? You can do a lot of talking about Jesus. <laughs> and it's cool because sometimes they don't work and you have to keep putting the button. They throw them all back out and you do it again. It's kind of cool when that happens. You, know, you just keep on talking. So here's the thing. I'm just telling you, most of us don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make a disciple. But I did what God told me. I went to a place he told me to go, and I did what he told me to do, and I started talking to people and handing out flyers. Well, about in the middle of that event, I see the lady that's the manager. I know she's a manager. She's got this white outfit on with a little name tag. And she starts sneaking around the corner watching me. And what did I think? You know what I was thinking. I was thinking, she's going to kick me out. She's going to tell me, don't proselyte in here. Because that's happened to me many, many times in my life. So I figured, she's going to come after me. So I said, I'm going to finish this conversation real quick, and I'm going to leave. And I did, and I started walking out, and here she comes, man, she's trailing me. She followed me, I thought, oh, no, I've had it. Now, I didn't want her to talk to me because that was a pretty good gig. I mean, you know, if you can talk to lost people in, like a, in a setting like that where they got to listen to you for like 10 minutes while you put cores in the machine, that's pretty good. You know, that's like a captive audience. That's a great place to witness, right? So I'm doing this, <laughs> and she's following me out, and, and I finally got away. I started running real fast. I went out there, they had these sliding doors, you know, kind of like Star Trek. I got out these doors, and she hollers at me. I thought, oh, I've had it. She said, excuse me. And turned around. She said, can I come to church? I, I just want you to hear that. Because those suspicions and those reservations that I had, every person in this place has when you start thinking about doing what I'm talking about. Guys, we have to be obedient to the Spirit. Do what God calls us. That's what Jesus did in this story. So the first thing is, we need to have a divine imperative. Secondly, we need to initiate a conversation. I said, can you come? Absolutely you can come. So I started this conversation with this lady. The next thing you know, she comes to church. You remember Tabitha. Tabitha came to church. She got gloriously saved. She got, a, she, she got her job better. She got her kids back. She had lost all, she had six kids. She was 38 years old. She had six kids. She was a single mom. She got every one of her kids back. She got to buy a house. She's doing great serving Jesus because of a few minutes. And I want to tell you something. God had prepared her because she had just lost her children today, that week when I met her in that laundromat. Kind of reminded me of being at that worship service when the preacher said that my brother might be praying for me. Guys, that's called prevenient grace. That's called, I want to tell you, all around your neighborhood, all the people that you live around, that you work with, the Holy Spirit is doing that stuff to them right now. Getting them ripe, 
getting them ready for you to encounter them. That's what God's doing. All our part is is to initiate a conversation. So you have to be willing to do that. I'll show you a lady named Madonna. I got to do this in, uh, in Indianapolis. The Lord helped me to plant a church there in Indianapolis one time. So uh, I got a call from the district superintendent. He said, hey, I got a building. I hear you're planting urban court churches. Do you want to plant one in Indianapolis? Well, I lived in Kansas City, for heaven's sakes. How am I going to plant a church in Indianapolis? But God told me to do it. So once a month, I'd, I'd fly over to Indianapolis. The first week I went there, I decided I'm going to knock on every door in the neighborhood. I know you think only Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons should do that. Shh, don't tell them it doesn't work. Because it's working for them. Now, knocking on doors is not the only way, but it's a way. I decided I wanted to meet the neighborhood. I just want to see who's there. So the, 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 the house right next door to this old church had been closed for three years. But that was a church that DS was giving us to plant. I knocked on the door, and Madonna invited me in. I sit on her couch. She's still on this couch, kind of like a lazy boy. She was all sprawled out. She's probably six foot two, real tall, redheaded woman. She's sprawled out. She's got uh, like a 12-pack of Bud Light tall boys over here. She's got a case of cigarettes right here. And I'm pretty sure she had an ounce of pot that I didn't see because when I came back from the bathroom, I, I mean, if you're sitting in the living room for two hours and you're drinking water, you got to go to the bathroom a lot. So I went twice. I think each time I went, she'd smoke a joint while I was gone in the bathroom and come back because it smelled like, I knew what marijuana smelled like. And she's just talking, and turns out she tells me that she's, a, she's an ex-stripper. She was a stripper in Las Vegas for like 36 years. She said, I moved to Indianapolis because there's just not a good re retirement plan in the stripper industry. And uh, three months later, Madonna got gloriously saved. Her dancing name was Mad Dog. But her name is Madonna, Madonna Eli. She's serving Jesus now. She stopped drinking. She stopped smoking. She stopped cussing. She got healed, man. She was, she was dying of lung cancer, and God healed her, delivered her from it. It's an amazing story. See, because what was happening was she had just lost her livelihood. She just moved from Las Vegas to Indianapolis, and she didn't have much money, and she was sick. She had heart trouble. She had lung trouble. She was a sick, sick person. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was speaking to her, and His provenient grace was getting her ripe for that moment. What might have happened had I not shown up? Here's the pondering question that we need to allow the Spirit to speak to us about. How many of those magic moments is God preparing all around our lives, but we're not there? Not because we're disobedient or rebellious, just because we're not listening. So I want to remind you, the most important thing I want to say to you today is please be listening to God in prayer. So many stories I won't have time for, but number three, third point, Jesus immediately goes to spiritual things. As soon as Jesus starts talking to her, he says, he asked her about water, then he said, if you knew the gift of God that I had, you would take this water and you would never be thirsty again. That was attractive to her. That was Jesus presenting the gospel to her. And of course she responded, and she responded yes. I love what Chick Shaver says. He's kind of like the father of evangelism in the Church of Nazarene. He taught me when I was in Nazarene Seminary. He said, you know, I've been married to my wife now for about 60 years. He said, but about 61 years ago, we had been dating for about a year, year and a half. And he said, there came a moment when I had to take a risk. I had to ask a risky question. He said, I asked her, would you be willing to commit your life to me? He said, it was scary. It was she could have said no. 
He said, but if I didn't ask that, we'd still be dating 60 years later. One of our problems in the church is we love to get around people and have relationships, but we're kind of afraid to ask the magic question. Have you ever thought about becoming a Christian? Have you ever considered what it would be like to be a Christian? I've asked that question many times, and they've come to know Jesus. Molly in Albuquerque, Sherry, who remembers, that's my wife of 40 years over there, by the way. Um, Molly, she knew her. She was a Thai lady. Kept going to a restaurant. I hated Thai food. I, was, I think Thai food's like eating Klingon food to me. You know? But some people love it. Well, I got to liking that stuff. It was weird, but I got to liking it because I loved her. And uh, I remember after knowing her for about three months, I'm sitting at a dinner table with her. And I'm, I'm asking God, how do I talk to her? I want her to become a Christian. I don't want her to just kind of blend into the church and not ever get saved. I think that happens so often. People come and they start developing the culture of Christianity, but they don't have a heart transformation. I didn't want that to happen to her. And so I'm sitting at the table. I said, Lord, what should I say? The Lord told me this. He said, just ask her if she ever thought about becoming a Christian. That's all. It's pretty easy, isn't it? You could do that. Let's try it out loud. When I say three, I want you to say, have you ever thought about becoming a Christian? You ready? One, two, three. You guys are evangelists. You're amazing. That's all I said. And she, she was, a, she was a, like a Buddhist, right? So she believed in reincarnation. And when I said that, she goes, you better believe it. I thought you'd never ask. I'd love to be a Christian. She said, and Sherry remembers this, she said, I hate my religion. She said, my religion believes in reincarnation. And she said, I've lived an awful, awful, awful life. And I know what's going to happen. If I follow my religion, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back as a roach bug, and somebody's going to squash me, and it's going to start all over again. She said, I love the idea of living for eternity in heaven with Jesus. She became an amazing Christian. She's teaching Bible studies in the Silicon Valley now, serving Jesus because of that one moment. You see, what I didn't realize is what had happened to her was she'd just gotten into business with another lady, and this lady had stole a half a million dollars from her. And she was still working with her. When I was witnessing to her in the restaurant, this other lady was in the back cooking and stealing from her. This was on her heart, on her head. It was, like, it was almost like God had been working on Mali for like five or six years, and she was ripe. And it was at a Thanksgiving dinner. We sat there. And that ripe moment, I'm convinced had I not listened to God, she may not be a Christian today. I'm telling you that God is preparing people all around your life for those moments. And I challenge you to listen to him. Listen to him in prayer more than you talk. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you what to say. He'll tell you people to talk to. We're going to finish this message because I'm not going to have time to finish it up. And if you want the rest of the notes, you can call the pastor and we'll send them to you. But I want to close this, this service with showing you a video that I think really reflects what really is kind of happening in the church today, more so than I think any video I've ever looked at. And in this, this story, it's, it's uh, William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. It was his vision he got when he started the Salvation Army. It was his vision. And it's kind of put into a kind of a drama, animated drama. Not great animation, but it's a good story. I want you to watch this, and I want you to ask yourself as you go through it, what can God do to change me to make me a more effective disciple maker? So let's watch that video. That means I'm done. Sorry. I had a vision. I saw a dark and stormy ocean. 
In that ocean, I thought I saw multitudes of poor human beings plunging and floating and shouting and shrieking, cursing and struggling and drowning. And out of this dark, angry ocean, I saw a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the stormy seas. And all round the base of the rock, I saw a vast platform. And on this platform, I saw with delight a number of the poor wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that some of those who were already safe on the platform were fervently helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach safety. But something puzzled me. Although they had all been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them. And what was equally strange and perplexing to me was that most of these people did not seem to have any care, that is, any agonizing care, about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their eyes. But then I saw something wonderful. I saw a great being from above come straight from his palace, right through the dark clouds. And he leapt right into the raging sea among the drowning people. And there I saw him toiling to rescue them until the sweat of his great anguish ran down in blood. And he was continually crying to those already rescued, to those whom he had helped with his own bleeding hands, to come and help him in the painful and laborious task of saving the lost. But the strangest thing of all was that those on the platform to whom he called were so taken up with their trades and professions and money saving and pleasures and families and community and gatherings and religions and arguments about it that they did not respond to the cry that came to them from this wonderful being who had himself by his spirit gone down into the sea. And so the multitude went on struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness. And then I saw something that seemed stranger than anything that had happened before in this very strange vision. Those whom this wonderful being cried out to to come and help him in his difficult task were always praying and crying to him to come to them. Some wanted him to come and stay with them and spend his time and strength in making them happier. Others wanted him to come and take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning the truth of some letters which he had written them. Others wanted him to come and make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be totally sure they would never slip off again. They used to meet and get as close to the rock as they could, and looking towards the mainland where they thought the great being was, they would cry out, Come to us, come and help us. But all this time, he was down among the poor drowning creatures, crying to them in a hoarse voice, Come to me, come and help me. And then I understood it all. It was plain enough. That sea was the ocean of life, the sea of real, actual human existence. Those multitudes of people struggling in the stormy sea were the billions of sinners from every race, language, and nation. That great sheltering rock was Calvary, the place of the cross. And the people on it were those who had been rescued from sin and hell and who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ. 
That mighty being who called to them from the tempest was the Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is still struggling to save the dying multitudes about us from this terrible doom of damnation, and whose voice can be heard above the music and machinery and noise of life, calling on the rescued to come and help him save the world. My friends in Christ, you are rescued from the waters. You are on the rock. Jesus is in the dark sea, calling on you to come and help him. Will you go? Well, I think that's a picture of the church today. I'm going to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this, If sinners are damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. See, I just believe that in every one of your lives, as inadequate as you think you are, God has made you all that you need to be for his mission. The devil's been lying to us too long, telling us only the experts do this. That's how he wins, to get the army off the battlefield. I'm just asking you this morning if you'll just be willing to listen to God. Spend more time listening. And then maybe obey. And all that means is get your buckets out. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be an extrovert. You just have to be a worker, blue-collar, migrant help. And be willing to go where God calls you to go and say what God asks you to say and trust Him with the results. I'm grateful that someone did that for me. You, you are that person for someone else in your community, in your neighborhood. So I'm going to ask you this, this morning to respond. If you'd all just bow your heads with me for a moment. <clears throat> if you'd say, Brother Mark, I, I think the Lord's speaking to me. I think I could do more for lost people than I'm doing. If you have the courage to confess that, I'd ask you to stand right now where you're at. I think I can do more for lost people than I'm doing, and I ought to be doing more. Would you stand? I think I could be doing more and I ought to be doing more. Second invitation is a little stronger. <laughs> if you're standing, you'd say, if God, if God will speak to me, I'll start listening more in my prayer. If you'd commit this morning to nothing else but that at first, God, I'm going to start listening more in prayer. If you'd commit to that, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come down here, and I want you to come and stand at these altars and kneel at these altars real quick. Uh, come down. I'll listen more, God. If you'll speak to me, I'll covenant to listen more. You're, you're committed. I'll listen more. Because if you start listening to God, he's going to mess somebody's world up through your life. <laughs> Thank God. He messed my world up because somebody listened to him. I just believe God's got a great army here he wants to release, and the devil doesn't like it. Because those of you that are standing in this place, I'm going to tell you, to the devil, you're the most dangerous people on the planet. 
He doesn't want you liberated. He wants you in bondage. He wants you to come to church every Sunday, get blessed, pay your tithe, and go home. He'd be happy with that, but not God. God's got amazing things for you. So I'm, I'm going to ask the pastor if he would to come up and close us in a time of prayer, however he feels led to lead us. And let me just remind you, every neighborhood, every community, every workplace, I want to tell you something. The Bible promises us that God's Spirit is out working right now. He's preparing people's hearts for an encounter with you. God bless you.